listening to The Journey Podcast. The Journey is a college and young adult ministry of Southcrest Baptist Church. We hope this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. Amen, amen. Y'all give it up for the Lord. That was awesome, guys. Thank you for, thank you for leading us so faithfully every single week, man. Um, hey, I was um, thinking about this week Things that people have said to me that kind of left me speechless. And I don't mean necessarily in a good way. <laughs> I mean like they said something to me, like not behind my back, but directly to me, uh, that left me not knowing how to respond. Maybe it was kind of rude. And so I knew how I wanted to react, like angrily and, and say something back or do something. But I just didn't know how to respond. And one specific example is there was a church member at one of my former churches. His name was John. And I had been at that church for about a year. And John just comes up to me and just says, hey, man, I can tell you've gotten a little bit fat. You obviously don't work out as much as you used to before you came to our church. <laughs> I was just like, uh, 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 like, I was like, I don't even remember what I said. Like, I have no idea. Like, that would be like me coming up to one of you first years and looks like, <laughs> Looks like the freshman 15 is right on time. You know what I mean? Like that would be so just messed up and mean, but like, okay, so don't look at people, don't point people out, okay, all right. We can always get on the treadmill next year, all right? We got this, we're gonna lose that 15. Anyway, um, been trying for years, don't, don't use my method. Anyway, so that was kind of a, all right, maybe he's ignorant, maybe he just said something dumb, let it go. But then like, not even maybe a few weeks later, maybe a month or so later, I'm explaining to John some ideas, and I'm not going to say a cuss word, but like what I'm, I'm gonna repeat what he said, and it's a little bit crass, but I'm explaining some ideas that me and the pastor were talking about, and in the middle of me talking, he's like, well, I think that's just a bunch of crap. And I'm just like, whoa, dude. And uh, I'll tell y'all how I did respond like later. It was graciously, but that was something I had to respond to. But, but immediately, I was just like, like, again, like, oh, I can't believe you said that. Like, he was like a deacon of the church. Like, I don't think deacons are supposed to talk that way, especially the pastors. And so, man, I, I don't know about you, if you've ever had situations or scenarios, maybe they're just funny. Uh, maybe someone has said something to you, you don't know how to respond. Maybe you see something going on with a friend, you know, a friend is doing something they shouldn't be doing. You don't really know how to respond to that. You know how you want to react. Maybe some, something happens and it makes you angry. Um, and But we know, like, there's a difference between reacting to something. Reaction is like the first emotion you feel and you just, you, you do whatever that leads you to do. And a response is a more sober-minded, well-thought-through um, action that you take because of whatever was said or done. Does that make sense? Are y'all tracking with that? And so I don't know if you've had that experience, but we, um, we, we kind of look, for example, at the dumpster fire, otherwise known as Twitter, you know, right? And, and so like uh, someone can post something that has, nothing to do um, with anything controversial whatsoever. But by the end of that tweet thread, what, what you're gonna see um, is, is something quite dramatic and the world is burning. And so I'm pretty sure, y'all just, y'all wait for this in the next couple of years. Someone is going to tweet 
um, a picture of their cat and say, oh, so cute. And by the end of that tweet thread, like Russia is going to be bombing another country because of it. Like I just know, like that's what happens in our society. We just, we get angry. Like what's gonna happen is that she's gonna post that the cats are cute and then dog lovers are gonna come in and create something. And then the animal rights people are gonna get on it. And before you know, it becomes political and then international and then just bam, like, like world war, right? Y'all follow me there? Like it's believable, right? It's believable in this climate. Um, I've, I've edited that joke with, with my wife and so sorry if it didn't, didn't make you laugh, but it was funny enough for me. I, I, this matters for me. So anyway, you know what's interesting? Like I, obviously those are, those are reactions to things. I think there's proper responses to things. Here's what's really interesting. The church throughout the history has asked similar questions. How do we respond to this crazy thing? How do we respond to this dumpster fire? Like, how do we respond? What is our place to play in this? And one of the, one of the beautiful things, one of the, the key things we're gonna really focus in on tonight, the ways that church, the church, and by church I mean all Christians throughout all time, right? You believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what I mean when I say the church, okay? One of the things they've been really good at is stepping into situations where they saw injustice or, or unfairness or, or people being oppressed. This is really interesting. So we, we know ancient Rome had rule over the, the Jews at the time that Jesus came into this world in flesh and did a lot of cool stuff such as like dying on the cross for our sins and raising from the dead and all that. So that's the context. The, the Romans still were ruling over a huge part of the world, especially the context that we see the New Testament written Okay, and so they're like seeing these Christians in this movement who at the first was called, um, just they called them the Odos in Greek, which means the, the way. That's why the way, Indiana, has a really cool name. I wish we could have that. Anyway, the journey's cool too. But I don't know why I said that. I'm like going all these places. So one of the greatest testimonies that the church had was that they were caring not only for the, the poor of Jewish Christians or Greek Christians, they were caring for the poor of Roman citizens, like Roman citizens who were poor and impoverished. And one of the greatest testimonies, there's, there's documentation of this. An emperor at the time like wrote, oh, look at how they care for the poor. And talking about the Christians, these, they, it's written, they care for our poor better than we do. Isn't that crazy? That was one of the biggest testimonies. Like, this is a love we haven't comprehended. This is a, a group of people who see these issues and they step into it. Like, how should we respond? And they responded with the love of Christ. And so that's happened throughout the centuries. And then we fast forward to today. And there are so many things that we could look at and, and ask, hey, how do we deal with this? What where does the church uh, fit in here? How do we respond? What do we say? What do we not say, right? Some things you don't say. And so what we're gonna look into tonight is the question of, of really what, what we do about this racism thing. Um, what, what do we do um, and what do we say? In other words, how do we respond to this? I have a more precise question we're really gonna nail down in a second that we're gonna answer. But if you were here last week, what you know, if you listen, if you didn't or you forgot, go listen to our podcast. It can be very informative. If this sermon doesn't make sense, go back and listen to that first. And then listen to this one when it comes out Thursday. I said the foundation of this series as we talk about who am I, the imago Dei, the image of God, was our three points. 
last week. And that means, who are you? You are the pinnacle of God's creation. Every single male and female he created. The best that God saved for last. He created stars and planets and galaxies that are beautiful and mind-blowing. But he created us last. He said, this is the best I saved for last. That's you and me, every human being. That's a pretty special thing to know about ourselves. And then we said we're not only created by God, we're created for God. And so you're not created for yourself. You don't create your own destiny. You need to look into God and Scripture and ask, where is my my purpose. It's for his glory. Everything you do and the way you live. And lastly, we said what's most important, maybe out of all of those, is not only the pinnacle of his creation, not only created for him, but that you belong to him. He didn't just create us and be like, whoops, that was an accident, and just walk away like a father that abandons their child. No, he actually still wants us. Even though we've messed up the world and done all these crazy, stupid things to get where we are in our own lives and in this world, and he says, I still want you. Like, I, I made you, and, I, and I'm keeping you, and I want to call you and draw you to myself in love. Y'all tracking with that? So if we don't know that, I'm just saying, like, don't, don't leave tonight, but go back, listen to that, because this is where we're setting this up. Here's the question. Make sure I get it right. It's going to be on the screens. If everyone, every single human being that's ever lived, is created in the image of God, how should Christians respond to racism? I'm going to take a drink because it's about to get real. Now, why, why, why am I talking about this? Why am I an idiot? You know what I mean? Like Brandon said that a few weeks ago when he preached on Song of Solomon on Sunday, which is a romance book and some, some just weird things going on that you don't normally talk about. Church. So like, am I an idiot? The verdict is, is on you. You decide that by the end of this. But that's not, I'm not openly being an idiot. Here's where I think. I think a lot of us have been terrified to talk about this because it's so controversial. And the church is the best place where this can be talked about. We have the only solution. And there are some places where dark ideologies have reigned and ruled and the church has chosen not to shine the light of Christ into those. And tonight, where Satan is standing in those places, where some things may happen in this room. I'm not talking about crazy spiritual things, but things may happen in your heart because I'm about to go punch the devil in the face. Y'all ready for this? We're going to say, you don't get to stand there anymore. This isn't your territory. This is ours. And we're going to come under the banner. I know I spit. That was awesome, right? I don't spit a lot. We're going to come. I'm, I'm a, let's go, Satan. Let's go, man. I got the spirit, bro. Let's go. We're going to come under the banner of Jesus Christ and his rule and his reign. And the devil's going to be limping out of this place. It's going to be a blow. So y'all ready for this? It's your first time here. Welcome to the journey. We're glad you're here. Glad you made it. <laughs> caveat we are in a predominantly white area this is Lubbock Texas it is predominantly white none of you did anything wrong to make that happen that is what our area is this ministry is and has diversity but it is predominantly white 
as I preach, I am not talking only and addressing the sins of, for example, my white brothers and sisters in this room. I don't know if you know this, but white people don't have the monopoly on racism. <laughs> like, we're not the only ones that can be racist or have racist thoughts. We don't have that monopoly. It's, I don't know if you knew, it took a little while for, for, for white people to populate the earth like we did. There were lots of other ethnicities around. You tracking with me? First caveat, very important. Second, all ethnicities, um, I, I, just to repeat, can harbor malice toward other ethnicities. And, and we call this racism. However, the concept of race is a human construct. I know that it's helpful for categories, but if we want to be as biblically as possible, here's a word that we're going to use. We're going to use the word ethnicity. Because in terms of race, we are all of one human race, that we all have the same ancestors. It's Adam and Eve. They're the first created humans. You, you do the logic. You work it from there. Um, by the, that, that is orthodox Christianity. Anyone who says that's not true, that our first ancestors were not Adam and Eve, they weren't the first created, that is something that has been believed maybe by 0.001% of people who claim to be Christians. That's orthodox Christianity. That's what we've always believed. And the Bible doesn't use the term race. The Bible uses the term nations. When you see nations, and when you see nations in the Bible, almost every time it's referring to people groups. It's the word ethnos or ethnic groups, ethnicities. And so when we say racism, what we're really talking about, just clarifying some terms so you know, what I'm talking about is one ethnicity being under the scrutiny of another ethnicity or group of them or whatever, basically on the basis of their ethnic identity and not their character. It's not because of anything they did. It's just like your skin looks different. You're different than me. You, your culture's different. Maybe your language is different. It's the opposite of MLK Jr. Like they're judging someone by the, by the color of their skin and not the content of their character. That's racism. <clears throat> so again, why talk about this? Because we're going to get Satan off of whatever he thinks he owns and say, no, this is where the church shines the light. And in the words of Matt Chandler, like I, just, I would just ask you, are we supposed to just come in here and sing our favorite songs every week while the, we watch the world burn? No. No. We have an answer for this. We don't have to be silent on this. And so, as you can already tell, this is not a traditional sermon. We are going to get to a text. It's going to be a few minutes from now. But you can turn to Luke chapter 10, verse 25, if you want to, because we're going to be there in a minute. Last caveat, I mean this from the bottom of my heart. As I was preparing this sermon, I didn't have to think hard about this, but I was intentional. Everything I'm saying, thanks be to God, I have not one individual in mind in this room right now that I'm sitting there thinking, I hope he or she's convicted by this. Not a one. And I hope that's always true. <laughs> and that's why it's so important that we do this together. I do this because I love you, and as a brother in Christ, it's time. It's time. And so what was the question? Can I repeat it? What's the question tonight? 
<laughs> if everyone is created in the image of God, good. Was that Colin? Was it literally just Colin? Love you, brother. <laughs> if everyone is created in the image of God, then how should we respond to racism? My first basic response to racism is one of heartbreak. Here's what I mean. I, I'm not going to pretend like I'm, I'm saying this spontaneously. I typed this out. I thought about it. I'm going to read this for you. This is my thoughts, my heartbreaks around this issue. Here it is. The fact that racism is still present today breaks my heart. The fact that so many people are lacking compassion toward those that suffer from the various effects of racism breaks my heart. The fact that even the word racism immediately causes most Christians to put their political lenses on rather than their biblical lenses breaks my heart. The fact that we formerly had a president who lacked the ability to speak graciously and kindly about this issue breaks my heart. And I'm not done yet. The fact that we currently have a president who thinks that he will help the problem, but by and large is just going to offer solutions that are bankrupt and won't solve the root problems of sin breaks my heart. I'm not here to offend you, but if politics are your God, you're probably thoroughly offended at this point. The fact that a large portion of minorities have stopped trusting Christians and the church to be a light that pushes back that darkness of racism and instead are trusting political leaders and movements for this breaks my heart. It should be the church, the brightest light. Those are their places for that, but the brightest light should be us. The fact that those who actually have a racism problem, the fact that they're also the ones who are most blind to it and most hostile and most angry when you bring it up breaks my heart because some of those are my brothers and sisters and I love them very much. And just like Cole Rose's anger problem and pride problem, I want it to be conformed to the image of Christ. I want their racism problem to be conformed to the image of Christ. The fact that, mm, y'all listen to this, please. I told the staff to pray for me that, <laughs> that I don't get too emotional. The, the fact, it's too late now. <laughs> the fact that good, Jesus-loving gospel-saturated, Bible-devoted, God-seeking men and women who are politically conservative or vote Republican are, for some reason, getting lumped in just because they voted for Trump with the actions that happened at the Capitol and other egregious far-right extremists just because they voted for Trump, saying that they all are monsters? I know Bible-believing, Jesus-loving people that are lumped in with that. And that breaks my heart. It's not true. There are people there who didn't even know. They went home on the news and they were like, oh my gosh, we didn't know that was going on. The fact, too, flip sides, that, y'all listen to me, church, that good, Jesus-loving, gospel-saturated, Bible-devoted, God-seeking men and women who vote for Democratic, our liberal presidential candidates this year, Joseph R. Biden. 
people that love the Lord, but that they voted differently than a conservative Christian candidate. Some Christians are saying things like they must be a Marxist. They must be a baby killer because they didn't vote against abortion. They're not truly a Christian. They're succumbing to white guilt. They're caught up in the most recent movement. They're abandoning the Bible and a host of other negative things being said. And all those break my heart because I know people who voted for them that are responsible for where I'm standing today. I know men and women who poured into me and love me and they love the gospel of Jesus Christ and they know their scriptures. And they're certainly not Marxist. That's a red herring anyway. That's neither here nor there. The fact that I'm about to quote the artist Lecrae and then get labeled a liberal by some people also breaks my heart. And Lecrae said this. He did not vote Republican. He said, we had issues with Planned Parenthood too. We just cared about black lives outside the womb just as much as in. And it breaks my heart One, that brother's struggling right now to this day. It breaks my heart that he articulated the heart of the issue so well, so poetically and so clear that even a West Texas white boy like me could understand it and know what he means. But many respond in anger. It breaks my heart that you can't honor another Christian's convictions enough to realize what they care about is just as important as what you care about, even if it's different. And it breaks my heart that you would doubt that they care, that they don't care about the sanctity of life when actually their passions and your passions align. Y'all listen to this. Maybe you're simply an expert on preserving life in the unborn, and they're an expert in fighting for the sanctity of life after someone enters this world. Both of you care about the image of God. You just express it differently. Ironically, both of you are on the same team. But of course my heart breaks because many of us are functioning as enemies. I've got three more of these. Hang in there. It breaks my heart that many of you only believe what reinforces the presuppositions you already have. Not because you did your homework and you studied up or read scripture, but because most of you still believe what mommy, daddy, granny, or grandpa told you. And that's just not going to cut it in this world anymore. Most of you in this room are lumped in with the most highly educated people in the entire world in this point of history. Just basically because you could probably go get an associate's degree by applying several different things and probably get grants and scholarships or whatsoever. You could do that today if you're not enrolled. You're the most, one of the most educated generations ever. And so what I ask you to do, I challenge you to utilize your energies and your education to do your homework and not just allow what you already believe to be reinforced over and over and over again with your chosen news outlet that just affirms your unchallenged presuppositions already. It breaks my heart that I have to use a Tuesday night gathering to spell this out, but I'll do it because I think it needs to be said. I do it because I love you. I do it because I feel like I've finally arrived at some clarity in this issue and it came through pain, it came through sorrow. A lot of you don't even know about this. Most of you don't even know. Closest people to me don't even know. But it came through pain and sorrow and tears and confusion and anger and long conversations and prayer and reading scripture and reading books and listening, L-I-S-T-E-N-I-N-G. Have you heard of that concept? Listening 
to others, to podcasts, to people I knew, I wouldn't agree with hardly at all. But I listened closely enough to squeeze out maybe a tiny strand of gold from even the most barren sources. Because even people who say they don't believe in God and want to construct philosophies and ideologies that are godless, because they're created in the image of God, every now and then that image bursts through just a little bit. You get to see just a little bit of what God is like, even in the most godless person. And I realize now that this issue is way bigger than Coal Roads. And I think you need, that's my name, by the way, if some of you are new. <laughs> You're like, who in the world is that? Exactly. <laughs> and I think you need to come to a point tonight where you say this issue is way bigger than and fill in your name. This is something only God can help us with. Lastly, watching it's the last, whoa, okay. <laughs> Lastly, watching how many of us have handled these issues has proven indirectly that such things as good old West Texas pride and freedom and conservatism and liber, lib, or liberalism or patriotism or nationalism, worship of country, whatever ism you want to feel, what it's revealed is that those things are actually our greatest pleasure and purpose and not Jesus. Here's an example. Someone comes after Jesus. I'm going to get riled up and defend his name. And that's what many people in the name of Jesus have been doing for presidential candidates and things that are not granted to you from Scripture. We treasure freedom in this country. Go tell a Christian in North Korea that freedom is something you should have as a Christian, and they will laugh, and then they will cry, and they will pray for you because that is not granted to us. It is amazing that we get to live where we live. I will say unapologetically, I think this is the greatest country in the world and the greatest country that's ever been. But so many things that we have are not guaranteed and granted. The solution is not found, friends, in Black Lives Matter. It's not found in Blue Lives Matter. It's not found in All Lives Matter. The solution is found in the image of God matters. Amen? So what do we need to do? We've gotta get back to this image of God. We've gotta get back to the heart of Jesus where it's, it's literally all about him. It's about his will. It's about his glory, his image being reflected and exalted in the lives of every single Christian. It's about the good old song that we used to sing as kids. And someone told me that I sing badly from my sermon last week, so I'm gonna say it instead of sing. You're welcome. But we sing, Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white, Probably a few more colors you throw in there, right? <laughs> Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. Amen? So how do Christians respond? First, our hearts, listen to me, our hearts must break that racism and its harmful effects are still alive and well today. We have so many opinions on the extent of that and what that looks like, but that, those are red herrings. That's a distraction. Don't miss the point. It's still present. There are people who think 
that they can be a Christian and harbor these type of things. And that's not okay. And so please, for the rest of this sermon, remember that many of you amen loudly when I, when I said very clearly in our series in 1 Corinthians that homosexuality is a sin and I got amens. And I said very clearly that to have sex before marriage is a sin and I heard amens and thank you so much. So please do not be all on board for condoning those sins and not the sin of racism. Please. So we must let allow this. Remove the hardened shell. I don't know why I'm telling you to do that. Only the Spirit of God can do that. What I've been praying for. If it's there. And let our hearts break. Let our hearts break. Because what that does is it puts us in a posture of humility and it sets us up for the second response. And the second response is to ask God, God, shine the light of your word on this issue. God, provide me some kind of wisdom and insight for how to speak into this and encourage others and how we are to respond. And that's when the Lord in his mercy and kindness showed me the parable of the good Samaritan. And so what can we learn from this parable? Let's read again. First response, we must be heartbroken, and then we're seeking God for wisdom, and I believe we find some good, good wisdom here. Y'all still with me? I'm gonna take a water break. Y'all cool with that? Have mercy. I don't have any water left. It's gonna be fun. I'm gonna be like, up at the end of this thing. All right. Luke 10, 25 to 37. Let me read this. We're gonna go through some quick insights. Luke 10, 25 to 37. And behold, a lawyer stood up and to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You've answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. So this lawyer is like, hey, like he's trying to trick Jesus and, and get him to say the wrong commandment. And surely enough, he said the right commandment because he's like the son of God and everything. And so um, he, he kind of knows what that would be. Um, and Jesus is hearing him, and he's like, yeah, that's right. You, you got this right. He said, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But Jesus knows that he's not doing this. <laughs> and so the, the lawyer, uh, try, trying to justify himself, trying to, trying to make sure he gets the last word, right? He says to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And, and oh boy, Jesus has a fun story for him. It's, it's learning time. Um, Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Pretty bad deal, right? Some injustice going on there. Now by a chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. So just, just to clarify, a priest and a Levite, like not only just like holy men, righteous men of God, but like people like holding offices within the people of Israel. Like this would be like Pastor David and me. I don't know. <laughs> Let's just say that. Yeah, we walk by, like, don't do anything. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Y'all give it up. I thought Jeremy was about to throw a water at me. Thanks, Katie. Y'all give it up for Katie Ritchie. And Jeremy for not throwing a water bottle at me. I appreciate it. So, he says Samaritan, little background Samaritan. 
Yeah, I remember when um, God's people came under cap- captivity, the Assyrian captivity. So what happened during that time is some Jews intermarried with the Assyrians during the captivity, kind of afterwards, and really created, for lack of a better term, like, like their own like ethnic group. And so their, their intermarrying, that was a no-no for, for, for Jews according to law and their customs. And so way, the way they were kind of looked at is traitors are kind of like, uh, you could say, half-breeds, so to speak. And so it's fair to say there was some probably racial tensions going on there. There was malice towards them because they were officially a different ethnos out of what happened there. Okay, I could go much deeper, try to make that very brief for you, but it gives you a basic understanding. Okay, so that's, what the, that's who the Samaritan is. And as he journeyed, he came to the place where he was, and when he saw him, he had what? Compassion. He went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, gave him to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him. Whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, which is the lawyer, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Pretty neat story. Need another water break. Sorry about that. Okay. What insight can we learn from the parable of the great Samaritan? As I read this, as I looked not trying to bring in my own ideas. What, what am I seeing here? Here's the first. Remember the priest and the Levite. God's people knew the law. Should have been loving, gracious people. So, number one, the people that should have most cared about this man, who is the object of such hate and injustice, were the very ones that turned a blind eye. You'd be like a, a police officer who's on duty. And he's maybe running an errand and he's at the scene of someone taking out a gun and shooting someone and murdering them instead of chasing down the murder and, and wrestling him down and arresting him, the police officer doesn't do anything. He just actually turns away and says, oh, look, the light just turned on at Krispy Kreme. I'm gonna go check that out. <laughs> Love you, Jeremy. You're still in here. Anyway. <laughs> That's crazy, right? Because... He's the one in that situation that's most equipped to handle when the law is being broken. Actually, like someone shooting someone, like he's been trained for that sort of scenario. And he's the very one in that situation that didn't do anything. And Christians, I just got to tell you, when we sit back and turn a blind eye to injustice, we're doing the same thing. We're the ones most equipped, most able. The light, not of some like, Whatever, you know, 30 watt bulb is not shining in us. The light of Jesus, who calls himself the light of the world, the one who spoke and created light. Like, how much more light do you want, right? Like, that's the brightest you can shine. We're the ones. We're the ones, the very ones that can, can do that. And so, my, my, what I want to bring you into is ask the Lord to give you his eyes and give you his heart for the broken and for the oppressed and people who are the objects and victims of such sin and racism and other injustices of every skin color. What can we learn from the parable of the Good Samaritan? Second, the one person who did the right, godly, just, loving, self-sacrificial thing was the one who was most hated and criticized and despised by those claiming to be God's people. 
the lawyer, notice he wouldn't even verbalize. He wouldn't say the Samaritan was the neighbor. He just said the one who had compassion. He didn't even want to say the word Samaritan. It was like a slur to him. That's how low he viewed the Samaritan. He didn't want to say that another ethnic minority was actually the hero of this story, the example to follow, the one who actually shows God's love more. It'd be like one of us seeing someone care for a homeless person by giving him McDonald's and us criticizing them for not giving them Chick-fil-A while we're just standing back not intending on giving them anything or helping at all. One, you know, give the brother some Chick-fil-A, all right, all right? Let's just have a heart, okay? I know McDonald's is cheap, but give, give him the good stuff or her, all right? Man, it's, it's like we, we, we have so many sideline Christians that are, that are criticizing and, and, and saying like, oh, well, well they're, um, they're, they're helping, but they believe in, in critical race theory and blah, 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 this. And, well, they're, they're helping, but did you know he's actually an atheist? Like he forwarded this book, and, and he's, he's, he's like bad news. And my, my thing is like all those things are good points, and those things are true, but you don't get to do that and stay on the sidelines. We've given over being light to people that actually have no light. Guys, we gotta step into that. We gotta get out of the sidelines, but being a sideline critic and get into the game. Amen? What insight can we learn from the parable of the Good Samaritan? Lastly, we see not only that the Good Samaritan is created in the image of God and equal to the Jews, despite their hatred and feelings of superiority, but actually that the Samaritan was the hero of this story. Charles Spurgeon, famous Baptist preacher. Um, there's a st- story, um, it's not a story, it's, it's a reality. Um, he ended up befriending a man made by the name of Thomas Johnson. There's a book called Steal Away Home. It can tell you all about this. A friend, a friend of his name, Thomas Johnson, who was a former slave here in America, and they ended up meeting, ended up becoming really good friends. Thomas Johnson was actually at his bedside. What a lot of people ended up finding out was that Charles Spurgeon, for a long time, suffered from physical ailments. He actually died even before the age of 60. Um, pretty early, especially for us in the modern day. What not many people knew until after he died, maybe even years later in his writings and, that were published, was that he suffered from severe depression for many, many, many years. And there's a true story that Thomas Johnson, in, in, a, in a moment of trying to encourage him and just let him know that he's there for him, said to the effect of, brother, so many people know about the, the physical scars and suffering on the outside, but you have someone here that knows the physical scars that are going on and, and the pain that's happening on the inside. And, and so in, in this situation, we got, I just can't imagine how many times Thomas Johnson said things like that to Charles Spurgeon before he was about to go preach to tens of thousands of people. How many days did Charles Spurgeon think about quitting ministry? And there his friend Thomas Johnson was encouraging him and loving him and pouring gospel love into him and saying, brother, you got this, I'm, I'm praying for you. What's my point? What, what, what point am I making here? What we do not want to do is to look at ethnic minorities as if they're only a victim and the best thing they can ever do is just maybe reach up to equality with, with 
with the majority races. No, actually, because God created us red, yellow, black, and white, because he created us as different ethnos, different skin colors and ethnicities and all those things. Guess what? Throughout the history of redemption, God is the great hero of the story, but he's raised up heroes throughout his redeeming us and calling the people to himself to declare the gospel who represent every single skin color you can possibly imagine. And so we wouldn't be surprised. Look, I'm not saying feel sorry for, I think we need to step into this and, and help, but don't be surprised when someone who's a different skin color than you is not only equal to you, but actually helps you, but actually makes you more like Christ. Another brother and sister in Christ who actually helps you and goes on and does amazing things for the kingdom of God. Are you tracking with me here? And so to really bring this home, expect God to not only call you into helping them, but expect them to be a major player in the expansion of God's kingdom. Because we see the throne room scene, Revelation 7, 9, behold, a great multitude of every tribe, tongue, language, people, nation of this beautiful scene, worshiping the Lord, saying salvation belongs to our God. We're not just trying to get back to equality. <laughs> God has already established that. You just need to walk in it. Brothers and sisters in Christ, there's no longer Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free. We are one in Jesus Christ. That's the reality that he has accomplished. So walk in it. We can't create something that Jesus has already done way better than we could ever do. And so walk in it, friends. Walk in it. The band's going to come up. As I um, share just some closing thoughts. Um, again, if any of this struck you in a way that's not fruitful, that is not my intention. I have none of you in mind. But I, this is something I'll stand my, my ground on. I have no, I have no hesitations in, in anything that we covered tonight. This, this, this should be Christianity 101. This really should be. But in case you, you just don't, you're quite not there. I mean, I, I know in Lubbock, Texas, examples of, of, of racism. Two weeks ago, I went to Walgreens at 4 p.m. I was taking my little daughter, Nora. She was crying like crazy, just doing anything to get her to calm down. All right, so we're running errands with Daddy. And I go in the store, I come back out, and I see, this, this isn't the only example of this happening, but I'm going to be real with you. I'm white. The woman that was outside was an African-American woman. I was putting Nora into my truck, and I overheard her asking another woman who was in a car next to me for just, just some help. She was, she was begging for money. And I lived in the Dallas area, like I experienced this all the time, very, like an area with a lot of homeless people, a lot of people. And so, and this is something I've experienced before. And so I'm thinking through it, praying through it. God just helped me um, kind of know how to help this person. I know she's going to talk to me. And so what I overheard though, friends, and this isn't any of you in this room. I just want you to realize this. What I overheard was very, very unkind words in a very harsh tone by the woman who was in that car next to me who was a white woman and she had kids and she had a, a pretty nice car. So I don't think the problem was that she couldn't 
go to Taco Bell and bring back some food and do some kind of help. And I, I overheard this on the other side of my truck, and I almost began weeping just then because I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, don't, you can't talk to someone like that. And so the, the woman comes around to me and, you know, she starts sharing her story. And, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of homeless people, interacted with a lot of them. And so it, as, you, as you get to that point, you can tell, hey, who, um, who's faking it, who's lying? She started telling me they were from DFW. They found out her mom died around midnight. They drove all night to Lubbock in a pretty bad car. They, they don't have any money, and that was evident from what they were wearing. They don't have any family here because their mom died. They need a hotel. They haven't, I asked her, have you eaten today? She said, no, I haven't eaten. And I realized I showed up at 4 p.m. They had been at that Walgreens since 8 a.m. And she had been coming up to people and asking for help all day. I am not the hero of the story. God is the hero of the story. But I was the only person to stop and talk with her and help her all day. And I've got news for you. I'm not poor, but I'm a pastor, and I guarantee you there are plenty of people from 8 to 4 p.m. that walked in that Walgreens that make two or three times more than I do. I was wondering who it was in the car that was parked over there, and she said it was her husband and it was her brother. And the reason that they didn't get out to help her is because of all the stuff that's been going on in the news, and they were scared that if they would confronted somebody, they would think that they were there to inflict violence upon them because of the color of their skin. Eight a.m. to four p.m. in Lubbock, Texas, in a place where me, I've only experienced kindness and hospitality and graciousness, so much help, so much love. This has nothing to do with Southcrest, but just you should know it's a loving church. I've felt more love in this season of life than I ever have in my entire life. And this is my city now. I haven't been here long. This is my city, and I'm seeing this woman experience this type of whatever you want to call it. I think it's only racism, but there's got to be something there in my city. It broke my heart. And so I, I, I helped her out. It doesn't matter how much. Make sure they got something to eat, a little bit to, to make it to the next day. And I left, and I shouldn't have been the hero of that story. It should have been someone else. And I got in my truck with Eleanor in the back, and I wept. I wept, and I got home and hugged my wife, and I wept, because I've gone out and shared the gospel in Lubbock, too, and there's a lot of people that say that they're Christians, and so I'm guessing there are quite a bit of Christians who walked in and out of that Walgreens all day, and I would just tell you, we got to do better. You know what I told that lady before we left? I want this to encourage you, because I mean it from the bottom of my heart. I went up to her, and I said, I am so sorry that you have to be this scared <laughs> to do this. I'm so sorry. I, it's out of my control, but I said, I promise you that there are people that love you and judge you not by the color of your skin, but by the content of your character. There are people in this world who love you, and, and it's, it's neither here nor there what color of skin you have that would have helped you just like I did. Do you wanna know who those people were that I were talking about? Those people that, that do, you don't know where they are? They're in this room right now. Because I feel like I, I know you. All I could just think was like, man, if someone from the journey were here, if any of you, like, man, they would, they would have stepped in and helped. 
And I believe in you. I'm not telling this sermon hoping that some of you leave because I'm worried about some of your behavior. I'm, I, we're doing this because I, I always want to be able to say that. I always want to be able to say that, friends. So can we agree to this commitment to do better? Can we look at Genesis 1 where it says God says to have dominion over the earth, to rule over the earth, that he wants us to be his image bearers all over the earth, to take care of it, where we see injustice, where we see things that are evidence of what he would want. We step into those things. Let's commit to be better, to be heartbroken over it, and to learn from God's wisdom, to seek it, to plead for it. And so again, as I, as I look out into this room, I mean this from the bottom of my heart, I see a room full of image bearers of the living God. I see infinite potential in all of you, not because you're you, but because God created you to be world changers in the name of Jesus. So I ask you, image bearers of God, when the lost and dying world looks at you like the woman at Walgreens, what picture do they see? May it be, may it be a picture of Jesus, his love, his racism, abolishing justice, his mercy, his grace, and may the picture you represent be the glorious, beautiful image of Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I give this to your hands. We... We love you, Lord. This room is filled with people who love you. We obey the great commandment to love you with all our heart, mind, and soul. And so, God, give us hearts to love neighbor well. You are the way maker. And you are going to show us a way. You're going to show us how to step into this one step at a time. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you are encouraged by today's podcast. If you'd like to learn more about The Journey, check us out on Instagram or Facebook at The Journey LBK. Thanks for listening.